<clears throat> this morning we're going to talk about missions. And uh, yesterday was my mom's birthday. And yeah, you can clap for that because I mean, she's pretty awesome and we love that she's a part of our church family. Um, but one of her favorite subjects is missions. So wherever she's at, happy birthday, mom. We're going to we're going to get after your, your favorite subject. Um, so do me a favor then and grab a Bible and get with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We have Bibles here. They're in baskets on the floor. And if you kind of look around, you might be able to track one down. The Bibles we have here it would be on page 922. 922. Now, I'll give you a little background while you're finding a Bible and getting there with me. Um, 2006, I was doing an action sports ministry and I tore my ACL, and this was the second major surgery in 18 months, so I was very discouraged. And um, Ash had just, um, was moving into Chicago for the first time, so we were dating at that point, but uh, we didn't end up continue dating during that season. And so I was going through this season where I was just really kind of mad at God and wondering what in the world he was up to. And I have some friends from the Rockford area, and a bunch of them said, hey, we're going to go to this conference down in Georgia. And I reluctantly signed up and decided I would go with them. And I went down to this conference, and it was a conference with John Piper and Louis Giglio and Francis Chan and Beth Moore and some others. And one of the themes that kind of came out of that conference was this passion for frontier missions. And um, my, I've told you this story before, but that event and then what transpired after that has really marked my life uh, and the ministry that I'm engaged in in many different ways. Right after that trip, I came home and I had a, another trip scheduled and the other trip was a, a mission trip to Kenya. And so there was a team of people from Rockford, a family from Rockton, uh, and myself and a friend, and, and we were going to stay there for a month. And so over the course of that month, in Nairobi, Kenya, watching this uh, family from Rockton kind of get acclimated, and then every day I'm listening to these sermon podcasts on missions, like this thing is brewing in me. This desire to see global missions happen in a way that's healthily connected with the local church, that was just kind of growing in me, and it has continued to haunt me ever since. And so this morning, we're talking about missions, and I want to show you some different things that the Bible presents to us. I want to show you some principles regarding missions that really informs the way that I would think about it. And I'm going to encourage us as a church family to think through how we could pursue it as a church family. How can we get behind this global mission that God is on? So I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll get to work. This is Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach 
the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. And after I have enjoyed your company for a while, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the things that you teach us about missions in it, Lord. We, we want as a church family to not just have this very nearsightedness about only worrying about our church and our needs, but instead, Lord, would you please lift our gaze this morning to recognize that you are a global God and you are on a global mission that you are seeking to save that which is lost and you desire that there would be faithful followers from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, Lord. We believe that you could use the McChesney Park campus as a part of that. And that's a tall order, so we need your help, Lord. By your spirit in this moment, would you please speak to us and help us to hear you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here are some principles for missions from this text. Number one, missions is a calling. Missions is a calling. When Paul thinks about his life and the ministry that he's engaged in, he recognizes God has called him to it. So in, in one sense, every believer is, is a called individual. We're all called into the family of God. We all have a calling on our lives. We're all sent, John 20, 21. We all have the responsibility to act and behave as missionaries to our culture. But there is a reality that cross-cultural missions is a profound calling where God looks at a person or a family or a couple and he says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you for my glory in the reaching of people who have yet to be reached. It's a calling. So when Paul talks about it, he, he communicates, this is something that God has given me to do. Let's look at it in verses 15 and 16. It's the middle of a sentence, but I'm just trying to pick up this, this idea that he is called to it. He says, because of the grace that God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He's saying, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is what God has done to me. I've been called to minister to the Gentiles. It goes on to say, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying is, I have been called to devote my life to reaching those outside of the Jewish community. I've been called to do missionary church planting wherever God leads me, and this is what my life is all about now. This is a grace of God. That's one of the things we have to recognize, that when God calls somebody, it is a gift. It's not that you deserve to do it. It's not that you're the most likely candidate for it. You can't look at your gift mix and go, well, yeah, I'm great in cross-cultural settings. I'm well-educated, for instance, like the Apostle Paul. Uh, I'm going to do a great job of doing this stuff. I've got thick skin, so you can just harass me, and I'm going to keep after this thing. You don't look at your gift mix and go, yeah, I should be the one doing that. It is a grace of God when he calls somebody to the mission field. And so we need to be able to say, look, this is a gift that none of us really deserve. If God would call any of us, it would be a gracious calling toward them. So being called to missions is a grace of God. It's also a call to proclaim the gospel. Look there in the middle of verse 16 where it says, he gave me this priestly responsibility of proclaiming the gospel of God. He recognizes that mission work really involves proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen and all of its implications. Now this is important for us as we think about missions because sometimes we can kind of get into this little 
uh, intramural debate about whether missions should be about proclaiming, a ministry of proclamation, of talking, of preaching, or should it be about something else? Should it be about caring for individuals? Should we care about you know, relieving poverty and educating people and, and doing orphan care and doing widow care? Should we care about these other things? And we kind of get in this intramural debate of, it's, you, know, you can either focus on proclamation or you can focus on caring for people. And the reality is, it needs to be both. It needs to be both. We need to be a people who recognize the fundamental part of missions is to proclaim the message of the gospel. But when we show up on the mission field and we see need and we see brokenness and we see hurt, we should naturally respond to that by trying to help. And so it has to be both. We have to keep these things together. John Piper uh, at um, Cape Town 2010, a, a gathering where all of these missionaries and leaders got together and they just kind of thought through issues uh, regarding global missions. And he put it this way. He said, Christians need to be people who care about all suffering and especially eternal suffering. And here's what he's saying. We need to be people who wherever we find need and hurt and pain, we want to do something to alleviate that. But we as Christians should be primarily, fundamentally concerned about somebody living their life apart from God. And so missions, I think, at the foundational level is one of proclamation. And I think that caring for people actually comes in behind that, but they go hand in hand. And in fact, sociologists have pointed out that the people who are doing the best job of caring for people with a holistic mission are actually those that are focusing on preaching the gospel. And so we want to look at missions and recognize that it is a calling and it's a call to proclaim the gospel. And the, the result that we want to see is that people would come to saving faith and begin to obey the Lord. Look again at verse 16. He, he gave me this responsibility of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So the aim of missions is to have somebody hear the message of the gospel, respond to it by faith, experience salvation, and then by the Spirit of God begin to walk out what obedience looks like in their context. And for us, we need to be very humble in that because one of the things that I've noticed is that American Christians, we not only want to see the Holy Spirit working on people's lives, we want to import our agenda on them. And it's possible to go cross-cultural and to go, we want to recreate Central McChesney Park in a new location. And so we want their obedience to look like our obedience. We want to, we want to micromanage how God might show up and work in, in these individual lives. Well, part of good missions is to see obedience of faith that is appropriate to that people and to have the humility to trust the Spirit of God working in their lives, bringing about conviction of sin and, and showing them what it looks like to walk faithfully in their context. So, Missions is a calling, and it's something that God gives to people. Um, Paul, he experienced this in real time. You can read about it in Acts 13. There's a situation where a church was praying. They were fasting and praying, and they said, uh, they, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I'm calling them to do. And then the church prayed over them, and they sent them out. So here's what you need to know at the McChesney Park campus. I have been praying for this and planning in this direction, I really do hope that God will call members of our campus to Frontier Missions. That should freak you out a little bit, because then what I'm doing right now is I'm suggesting that God in a moment like this could be highlighting your life and saying, you're the one. You and your family, you're the one. And I'm not, you know, I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. You should be a little freaked out because it could be you. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. In fact, we were talking about this this week. Um, any of the shows that I've ever been to, and I've told you before, I'm an introvert and you know, this is way outside of my comfort zone. So if I go to a show 
and there's some crowd participation, I cannot enjoy the show. Because I'm sitting there the whole time like, what if they come my direction? Like, what if the spotlight goes on me, and then the person kind of wanders out into the crowd and says, hey, come on. That freaks me out. And you might be feeling sitting in here like, that better not happen right now. Okay, that, that, nothing weird better happen right now. But here's what God does. He will put the spotlight on you, and it's not to embarrass you. It's incredibly dignifying. He'll put the spotlight on your life. The Holy Spirit of God will look at you and say, you are being called to the most significant activity in the world, to be a missionary for my glory, to proclaim the message of the gospel. And God can do that in a way that is encouraging and inspiring. But I do pray that that would happen for our campus. It is a calling, and God might call some of you, and we would celebrate that and be thrilled if that were to happen. So that's the first thing we see here. Missions is a calling. Here's the second thing. Missions is rewarding work. When we think about global missions, we should be able to acknowledge that anyone who's called to it is called to one of the most significant things in the entire world. That somebody could go across cultures and try to reach people with the message of salvation, and that could result in salvation and then in local leaders being built up and local churches established. That's phenomenal. Here's how Paul thinks about it. He says, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. When he thinks about his calling to the Gentiles, he goes, look, I just glory in this thing. I just revel in the fact that God is using me and I get to serve in this great purpose to God. Um, So when we think about missions, we should have this high uh, estimation of what it really is. It is a beautiful thing. If somebody's called to missions, we celebrate that. We don't bemoan if we're losing our best and our brightest. We celebrate missions because that service is a glorious service. Now, it's also rewarding because it's Christ's work. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. So he's saying he can, he can celebrate this because God is using, he's accomplishing through Christ what he wants to accomplish, and he gets to be on the front row, that he gets to see how God is at work, and he gets to be a part of that, and really it's, it's Christ accomplishing what Christ wants to accomplish through him. And that's a beautiful reality. So we need to hold up this standard of missionary activity that says, look, this is a rewarding work. If you're called to it, you glory in it. And, and if there's any um, outcome from it, you should celebrate that it's Christ working and accomplishing what he wants to work and accomplish. Because listen, sometimes missions, you don't get to see the results right away. You don't actually get to participate in the fruit of your effort. So, for instance, Jim Elliott and his, his ministry partners ministering to a people group that were hostile, and he, he and his friends were murdered. And so he was laboring to communicate the gospel to this people group, and they ended up killing him and his friends and his wives and their kids, and then people from the church rallied, rallied around them, and they continued to love and care for this tribe. And that tribe then, many of them became believers in Jesus Christ. But the work, even though he lost his life in service to them, it is a glorious work. It is Christ accomplishing his purposes through him, even if he doesn't get to see the results. You need that sort of ballast in your life if you're going to go onto the mission field and just recognize, I could spend my life, I could give my life in service to the gospel. It will be rewarding because God will be accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in and through me. We also see that it's rewarding because the Spirit of God empowers it. Look at verse 19 by powers and signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit is at work, and in, in in the Spirit's accomplishing 
what only God can do, right? That he's not, he's not boasting about, man, we had the best mission strategy. We were so great at planning out how to reach people. He's saying, look, this is the spirit of God. This is the power of God on display in this ministry. That's the kind of stuff that we need to get on board with and get excited about that God, by his spirit, can call some of us to the field and we can see the results of it because the power of God is on display. By the way, this is, he's talking about God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's got this understanding that the whole Godhead is involved in this project. It is a significant and rewarding work. It's rewarding too because you can track how well it's going. I don't know if any of you guys are um, kind of type A personality. You do your list. You begin to check things off and you get that one done and you're like, you, like, you just feel good about it. Missions has that feature about it. it is a, it's a measurable work. You can look and see how things are going. And so when Paul evaluates his mission uh, calling, he's able to say, verse 19, so from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I've fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He looks at a map. He looks at his list of all the cities and he goes, I was there and I preached the full message of the gospel. I was there too. They heard the message. Many of them came to saving faith. There's a church there now. He can look at the map and he can look at his list and he can go, this is, it's working. God is at work in this mission, and people are coming to saving faith. So we can actually do the same thing today. We can celebrate and, and, and just gl- glory in the fact that God is still at work. We can look at the people who are unreached, and we can see when they are being reached. And if we as a church participate in that, we'll have that reward. We'll be able to say, look, here's the number, and it came down a little bit because we were involved in the labor. Okay, this morning, 5 a.m., I hop on my computer, and I say, okay, let me just check today where we're at. So there's organizations out there, Operation World, the Joshua Project, the Hop on Joshua Project. How many unreached people groups are there today? 7,080. 7,080 people groups who do not have the message of the gospel and have a significant group of followers that that have responded to that. Okay? That means that today, 7,080 people groups don't know the hope that's available to them in Christ. Now, here, I know this just feels so crazy, but we could change that. What if we said, as a church, we're going to do everything that we can and focus our time and energy so that a few years from now, it's not 7,080, it's 7,079. Because we just said, look, we're going to adopt a people group and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that they have the message of the gospel translated into their native tongue presented in a way that makes sense to them. We want to see a local church established and local leaders raised up. And what if we just said, look, we're going to do that. Now, what I'm proposing is insane. Like if, you know, little old McChesney Park campus, you're like, come on, dude, let's just get after Sunday morning stuff. Just pump the brakes a little bit, dude. You're kind of, you're getting off the rails here. But what if we just said, look, as a church family, we're going to do this. We're going to go after making sure that the gospel message reaches people who aren't presently being reached. And when that happens, how rewarding would that be? How awesome would that be if people are in heaven because we decided as a church family, we're going to be strategic in the way that we go after this. I think that's a beautiful and rewarding work. Here's the third thing we see here. There are different priorities for missions. There are different things that when we think about missions, we should be able to say, here's what really matters. Here are some other things that also matter, but we know what the most important thing is, and we're going to go after that priority. 
The priority for missions that I see in the scriptures is that we should be primarily concerned with reaching places that haven't been reached yet. So there's a lot of mission going on in the world, a lot of mission organizations, but we should try to rally behind those organizations that are committed to frontier missions. Look at how Paul talks about it here in verse 20. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Then he defines what what he means by that. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. He's looking at people groups and saying, I desire my ambition that God has given to me is to go to those people groups where there isn't already an established church. There isn't already a, a gospel work occurring among them, but I desire to go where there that hasn't happened. I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. I want to go and, and pioneer a work in a new place for the glory of God to reach every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I want to be a part of that. And so that's how he prioritizes mission. So we need to think through how can we be involved in this high priority mission? And it means that we have to sometimes overlook or kind of put under uh, other good and worthy causes. For instance, look at how he talks about it. He says in verse 22, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He goes, here's my priority. It's frontier missions. This is the calling that God has given me. This thing is very, very important. Now, I want to visit with you. In fact, I've longed for years to spend time with you and see you face to face, but this priority governs my life. This is what I have to do. If this is completed, if there's an opportunity and the work that I'm called to gets done, then I'll come and visit with you, but I have this priority, this ambition, this God-given goal of reaching people who have not yet been reached. Now, as a church, we need to embrace that and be willing to say, look, we'll do that too, because it's honestly... That's the hard work. It's much easier to just come along and support other ministries that already exist. To establish a new work requires time. It requires people to go and get familiar with the culture and to be immersed in it. It requires a a commitment of love to a specific location. It requires all kinds of different things. But, But we need to say that's a priority and that's worth it. We will do that. Even if the timeline then becomes a 10 or 15 year project, we're going to go after that because we want to get it to 70,000 and 79, and we're not going to rest until that happens. So the priority is frontier missions, and that means that we will pass over other things, social work, poverty relief, orphan care, supporting existing churches. If we're going to be determined in our efforts to meet this significant priority of frontier missions, then we have to state that and go, there are other things that we could be doing as a church, but we want to be involved in this because we want every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to hear the message of salvation, and for there to be a a church there, and for then there to be a people in heaven worshiping with us, and we got to be a part of that. That's a beautiful, beautiful reality. So missions is a calling. It's a rewarding work, and there are priorities for it. Now here's the the last point that I'm going to make. The local church has a role in global missions. The local church has a significant role in global missions. Sometimes we say they're different. You can either be very passionate about missions or you can be very passionate about local church. It's hard to do both. And I want to suggest to us as a church family, let's do both. Let's love the global mission of God and the local church. Um, And I think that's the heartbeat of, of God anyways. So Paul, when he completes his work there, 
Now he's able to say, I'm going to go visit with this local church in Rome. Look at verses 23 and 24. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So he's saying, look, I've been doing this frontier missions, church planting thing. They're all established now. They're all doing pretty well. There's no more work for me here, which by the way, doesn't mean everyone's a believer. It just means there are churches now and there's local leaders and he can just walk away and trust the grace of God at work there. And he's saying, now, now that I don't have work to do here, I'm going to come and visit with you because that's been the longing of my heart for years that I would be able to spend time with this local church in Rome that I've Maybe I've never even been to, but I just love the local church. And so I'm going to devote some time and energy to to visiting with them. So Paul loves the local church. And honestly, his labors on the mission field are for the sake of local churches. He loves local churches. It has to be a part of the strategy. So our local church, the McChesney Park campus, here's a few different ways I see in the text that we could get involved. Number one, we can financially support the work. When Paul writes to this church and he says, hey, I'm going to visit you. Look at verse 24. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there. He's saying, when I come through there, you could actually have prepared a financial gift that would help me in the ongoing mission. The local church can partner financially. And I believe that we should be doing that. That as a campus, out of our offerings that we all bring every week, we should say, look, a big percentage of this is going to go to Frontier Missions. And we're going to financially support something. We're going to pool all of our resources together and say, look, a chunk of it's going to to help here. We can do that as a church family. I believe that we can financially support the global mission. I believe that we can relationally support the global mission. Look at verse 24. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there. And, And he's going to go there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Here's what he's saying. I want to be with you. I want to see your faces and I want to be encouraged by you, and I want to just spend some time together with you before I keep after this thing. Look, missionaries are lonely people. They're on the field in different cultures, struggling with things that that we don't ordinarily struggle with here, and, and it can be a lonely work, but we as a church family could say, we're going to be a relational resource to them. We are going to commit to writing and encouraging and doing what we can to support them. If we take short-term trips, it's going to be to go there and do some of the things that are never going to show up on the most incredible you know, short-term trip agendas. We'll just say, look, we'll go grocery shopping for you. We'll babysit your kids. We'll hang out with you. We'll, we'll do whatever we can to encourage you. You tell us what you need. We'll take a trip And the team will be instructed, we do whatever we can to do hospitality for them so they can keep doing the mission God has called them to. But we want to be a relational support. I think as a church, we could do that. We could be very helpful in that way. Here's another thing that we can do. We can support the global mission through prayer. Look at verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. So he's saying, let's pray about this. Let's pray for those who are on the field and let's labor in this prayer. And I'd be happy to tell you about some missionaries that we're already connected with. If you want to add that to your prayer list and just say, I'm going to be crying out to God for the goodness, his goodness to be on display in their lives and in their ministries. But let's, let's partner in prayer. Now, here, here's the last thing that I want to do. And it's just, it's just kind of zooming back a little bit and thinking about, again, our point that the, the local church has a role in global missions. 
And I want to just suggest to you, we at our campus have what we need to be the kind of local church that can be involved. Okay? I'm going to show this to you in just a second, but one of the temptations that I have is to go, man, if we were bigger and we had more resources, we could do more. If we had more pastoral staff, man, how crazy would it be if we could find somebody like Paul and I could co-labor with this other, man, it would be gangbusters, right? If there were a couple people who were passionate about missions and pastoral care and, you know, all these different things, if we could find more people to do this, then we could really get after this global mission piece. But I want to show you something. When Paul writes to this church, he's writing to encourage them to help them see the local church really is the most beautiful thing in the world. And it is a part of the global mission. He takes time out of his itinerary, traveling from place to place, being arrested. One time he was stoned to death. They drug him outside of the city. They threw rocks at him and they left him thinking he was dead and he wasn't. He gets up and he keeps doing ministry. He's been through all these different things, a shipwreck, all, and he takes time in his itinerary to say, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to write a letter of encouragement to this church in Rome because that's how I feel about them. I love them. And I'm going to suggest some things that they need to pay attention to. I'm going to, I'm going to say some hard words, but at the end of the day, they need to know something. They are God's bride and they have what they need. Look at it. It's verses 14 and 15. So we're backing up now, but look at verses 14 and 15. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Here's what we need to see. We have what we need. Little old McChesney Park campus, we have what we need. I'm convinced that you're full of goodness, that God's grace has been on display in your lives. I'm convinced that you have the knowledge of God and that we can actually minister to one another. It's not a matter of, you know, thinking through, okay, we have to add more staff. Part of it is just unleashing the power of God's people, that we can be counseling each other and doing life and encouraging one another. And I think, I think that's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And he's saying, too, that what we need most is to be reminded of the basics. What we always need is to be reminded of the truth that we have in the gospel of God's grace. And when we focus on that, when we say, look, here's the gospel, this is what we're always going to talk about around here, you might get, you know, you, you might get bored with it if that's the case, you know, check your heart, but li- this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how God loves us, sent his son to save us. We're going to talk about the hope of glory that we have in him. And we're going to make that known to as many people as possible. That's what we're going to do. We're going to remind ourselves of the basics over and over and over again. And we are the kind of church that God can use for this significant global frontier mission work. And I hope that you will join me in praying and strategizing to be a part of that. I'm going to invite the band to come and we're going to worship once more, but let's pray. Lord, you are a lovely God. And we, we love that your heart is for those who are far off, who don't know you, Lord. And we have people in our communities here that don't know you. And so we, we definitely want to be in, engaged in that. We want to be your missionary people, doing our lives with gospel intentionality, looking for opportunities to share the hope of glory that we have. Don't let us be selfish and don't let us get too hung up on these you know, petty concerns that we kind of go through life and and just let it, 
eclipse everything else. Let us focus on the gospel and let us tell other people about that, Lord. And we as a church family, we want to be involved in the frontier mission that you're doing. Lord, we, we know that there are people out there who don't have access to the message of the gospel. We want to change that. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church family to engage in significant work that would result in local churches led by local leaders doing things that, that glorify you there. Give us the humility to recognize that calling would be a grace and uh, that you can do that through us because it's a work to God accomplished by Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord. Amen.